0: Hi everyone, Siobhan Chapman here and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It's Friday morning, which means it's time for the weekend review and preview conversation, where my guests will recap how markets have performed over the past few sessions and preview what you can expect in the week ahead. Today's conversation will primarily focus on quarter two corporate reporting season. Joining us for the conversation, I'm glad to welcome back Matthew Tormey, Equity Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Matt, welcome. We're happy to have you.
1: Hey, good morning, Siobhan. Thanks for having me.
0: Perfect. Matt, so let's get started. The week marked the unofficial kickoff of the quarter two corporate reporting season. Before we reflect on the early reporting, can you speak to CIO's overall expectations for the earnings season?
1: Of course. So for the second quarter we are expecting to see a pretty decent level of earnings beats because If we look at the underlying economy during the quarter and the data points that we did receive, the economy has been really quite resilient, much to the surprise of the market. So a few quick points to highlight on this, starting with the labor market. The unemployment rate still is near historically low levels. Demand for workers is moderating, but does remain strong. Uh, Non-farm payroll growth is still solid, and weekly initial jobless claims numbers have stayed fairly low. And on the consumer, they are still benefiting from excess savings and as inflation cools, real incomes are rising. So both of these are factors that are continuing to support consumer spending. So taking this and frankly, other resilient economic data prints into account, we are expecting earnings to decline three to 5% year over year in the second quarter, which is better than current consensus expectations. And we believe that this is going to mark the trough in earnings growth this cycle. Now, if we take a little bit of a deeper dive across sectors, it's likely we're gonna see a pretty wide dispersion in profit growth this quarter. So on the positive side, consumer discretionary companies should see the strongest earnings growth because during the second quarter last year, goods demand was very weak, which ended up leading to disappointing results and now the comps are much easier. And touching on the negative side, the energy, materials, and healthcare sector should see the largest declines in earnings. For the energy and materials companies, They really benefited last year from the surge in commodity and oil prices last year following the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And since then, these prices have fallen back down towards pre-invasion levels. And for healthcare, some of the largest companies within the sector benefited during the pandemic. And now and as time goes on, the incremental boost that these companies saw in earnings is continuing to roll off.
0: So, Matt, I want to delve deeper into the deep dive that you mentioned. So what are the reflections on the results that we have seen so far?
1: with just 20% of the S&P 500 market cap having reported. But so far, results are coming in pretty consistent with what we were expecting. So we're seeing 52% of companies beating sales estimates and 65% are beating earnings estimates, both lower than their historical averages. But if we look at the earnings beats in aggregate, they're coming in at over 4%, which is in line with our expectations. If we turn the year-over-year profit growth Consensus is currently expecting a result worse than our 3 to 5% expectation, but if we strip out the energy sector, which I just highlighted should see the weakest earnings growth this quarter, profits could actually end up being up slightly. And on third quarter guidance, the median EPS estimate is down 1% for the companies that have reported so far. Now, as usual, the first week of earnings season is dominated by the big banks. So a couple key takeaways here. First, the beats have mainly been driven by higher than expected net interest income. So this is the revenue that banks are generating from their lending activities minus the money that they're paying out to depositors. Uh, Second, management teams have been highlighting the resiliency of the consumer, even though they continue to express uncertainty about the economic outlook. And third, the banks do remain well capitalized following the Fed's annual stress test, which did conclude at the end of June, and even as they've had to face increased regulatory scrutiny since the regional bank in crisis earlier this year.
0: Acknowledging that the equities have had a strong run as of late, what do you contribute to that momentum, and can this rally continue?
1: Yeah, so U.S. equities haven't been on a strong run just as of late, but it's really been the whole year. with The S&P 500 up more than 19% year-to-date. And as many investors know, it's been seven of the largest companies in the index that have been driving the gains this year, seven companies that – we've been referring to as the surging 7. So, as of yesterday's close, these seven stocks have contributed to 70% of the S&P 500 gain this year, and AI-driven enthusiasm has played a big role in this. Now, more recently, we are starting to see the rest of the market participate in the rally alongside the surging 7 if we do look at the performance of the S&P 500, equally indexed relative to the market cap weighted version of the S&P. And we're attributing this momentum to the resilient economic data that we've been receiving over the past few months, which has allowed for this off-landing narrative to gain some steam. So naturally, this leads into the second part of your question, Siobhan, and that's if we think that the rally can continue. So over the course of the year, we believe that there's probably limited upside from here uh, for equity markets for five key reasons. First, if we look at where equity market valuations are, they're quite extended with the S&P 500 forward PE over 19 and a half times. And at this level, we usually see more than double digit forward earnings growth or very low levels of interest rates. So both conditions which aren't really present today. Uh, Second, sentiment is no longer depressed, which does suggest that there's probably less scope for money to come off the sidelines and push markets higher. A third economic surprise indices are elevated, and this has raised the bar. So if we do receive any disappointing prints going forward, this could lead to investors losing faith in this soft landing narrative that's been building. Uh, fourth, in our view, stocks are already pricing in a meaningful improvement in business sentiment. so if we look at the year over year s and p five hundred performance relative to the current ISM manufacturing index level. And this has had historically a pretty good relationship. And finally, the Fed is forecasting a period of slower economic growth and an increase in the unemployment rate in order to achieve its 2% inflation objective. So an outcome that we don't believe is being priced in.
0: So going off on your last point, how should equity investors think about positioning at this moment? What sectors look most attractive?
1: Of course, that's a great question, because it's definitely been tricky since the start of the year is many investors have been caught offside. So coming into the year, many investors were expecting a recession. So portfolios were positioned quite defensively. And as we've seen, economic data has been more resilient than expected. And mega, ta- mega cap tech stocks have been driving the market this year. So given our outline um, or outlook that I outlined in the previous question, so across sectors, We don't think portfolios should necessarily be positioned totally defensively, but rather investors should be more selective and have balance in their portfolios. So on the most preferred side, our preferred cyclical sectors are energy and industrials, and our preferred defensive sector is consumer staples. So just starting with energy first, we think that valuations for the sector are currently pricing in a quite dire outlook. And over the coming weeks and months, we're expecting oil prices to trend higher, as Global economic growth drives demand growth. OPEC plus supply cuts and increases in the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve make their way through the market. On industrials, we think there's a couple attractive secular growth drivers here from defense companies, which should benefit from higher defense budgets. The infrastructure law, which we expect will support non-residential construction. Aerospace manufacturers should benefit from large backlogs, even if air travel starts to cool. And investments in energy supply and offshoring and reshoring trends should further support the sector. And lastly, on consumer staples, we do expect the sector to continue to benefit from pricing power and resilient consumer spending.
0: So Matt, turning to next week, what should investors be mindful of?
1: Yeah, so we might be in the dog days of summer, but Next week's calendar is quite busy from both an earnings and economic perspective, so let's dive right into it. On Monday, we'll receive preliminary market PMI data for both the manufacturing and services indices for July. On Tuesday, another manufacturing-related print as we'll receive an updated Richmond Fed index reading for July. Uh, Also, the Conference Board's latest consumer confidence print will be released, and after a pretty nice jump in June, consensus is again expecting a slight uptick in July, and on housing, the FHFA home price index data released for May will provide us with some good insights on single family home prices. Uh, moving on to Wednesday, and what will certainly be the highlight of the week, the July FOMC meeting is set to take place where the market and ourselves expect one more 25 basis point rate hike, which would bring the Fed funds target range to five and a quarter to five and a half percent. And in our view, we do expect this to be the last hike of the cycle. Also on Wednesday, we'll receive a few housing-related data points with two new home sales and building permits that morning. Uh, turning to Thursday, we'll be keeping an eye on the weekly initial jobless claims numbers, which have ticked down over the past couple of weeks. Uh, we'll also receive the first estimate of second quarter GDP growth. And as we've seen throughout the quarter, economists have been revising their second quarter GDP estimates higher as the soft landing narrative is picking up steam. Uh, Circling back to housing pending home sales for June will be released, and then we'll receive another regional Fed manufacturing survey, this time from the Kansas City Fed. And wrapping up next week on Friday, we're set to receive the final reading from the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey for July. And as a reminder, in the preliminary reading, we did see a slight uptick in longer-term inflation expectations, so something we'll have to continue to keep an eye on. As it relates to the consumer, personal income and spending data for June set to be released on inflation, core PCE data will be published for June with consensus expecting a downtick in the month-over-month reading, which uh, would be uh, consistent with the inflation prints that we did receive earlier this month. And finally, the employment cost index for the second quarter will be released. And this is a data point we keep a close eye on here in CIO as it relates to overall compensation costs. So here, consensus is currently expecting to see a similar reading to the first quarter, which showed a quarter over quarter increase of 1.2%. Uh, lastly, on the earnings calendar, it's going to be a very busy week with roughly 40% of the S&P 500 market cap reporting, which does include many of the large mega cap growth names that have been really driving markets this year.
0: Matt, thank you so much for joining us and giving us that much-needed update for such a busy week that we have ahead.
1: Thanks for having me,
0: Siobhan. Of course. Again, we have been joined by Matthew Tormey, Equity Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. And as a reminder to our listeners, Top of the Morning is a part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as a UBS training video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Siobhan Chapman, and thank you for joining us.